Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to All the Things. I am Monique Dusan, and my, my partner in crime is not here tonight. You guys, We just got back from a conference and Krista needed a little bit of rest. She wasn't feeling too good. So I am running the show solo. Like I said, I am Monique Dusan. I am the president and co-founder of the Center for Biblical Unity. And this is All the Things, the show where we discuss all things related to God, the Bible, and real life. My co-partner is Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And unfortunately, she is not here tonight, but we still plan to have a great show Helping us out on the show is the one and only Bob the Button button Pusher Bontrager. He helps us out on the show and in all things related to real life and all of our media things all the time. And our Facebook moderator and YouTube moderator tonight is Emily Bontrager. You guys, it's like a family affair up in here. So if you are online with us in our live show, not listening to this recorded, jump on and get in the chat box, chat with us on Facebook or on YouTube. You can reach us at the Center for Biblical Unity or All the Things or on our All the Things Facebook. And tonight's show is brought to you by Theology Mom, the Center for Biblical Unity, Family 210 Clothing and Impact 360. And this is our Family 210 t-shirt of the week, Speak Truth to Error. It is a Center for Biblical Unity shirt. We believe that we speak truth to error. I know much of the culture is saying that we need to speak truth to power, but in in truth and in in the scriptures, we don't actually know or see that we have to speak truth to power. Power isn't always evil. We have people in powerful positions who are righteous and people in powerful positions who are wicked. So we want to speak truth to error, speak truth to, to things that do not align with the word of God. So that is our Family 210 shirt of the week. Make sure that you visit either family210clothing.com or centerforbiblicalunity.com and pick up your shirt where about $10, it's about $10 from each sale of a shirt comes directly in to help either our family or the ministry. So thank you so much for that. Now, I just mentioned that we, Krista and I, today were at the Maven Conference. My gosh, Maven Ministries is a parachurch ministry, and it really seeks to support church leaders, um, youth leaders, but also parents and grandparents, anyone who is actively involved in the life of a child or a youth. And it, um, the ministry actually helps to equip people to be able to disciple their young people well. And I spoke, I spoke alongside Dr. Thaddeus Williams, the author of Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. And gosh, Katie Faust was there. John Stone Street, president of the Colson Center was there. And then Dr., not Dr., I'm sorry, J. Warner Wallace was there from Cold Case Detective. Cold Case Christianity. He was a cold case detective. You guys. And you notice I'm a, I, my brain, I'm a little tired too. So, um, but yes, it was a good conference. We were there last night and then this morning and Thaddeus and I, we really just talked about like the hope. Why does Christianity offer a better hope than critical race theory? And it was, a, it was well received, but it was also just, you know, a lot of truth, a lot of truth to the hope that Christianity offers not for racial reconciliation, but for unity. You know, racial reconciliation usually involves a lot of works. And um, Christianity is is based on what Jesus has done and that reality and how we get to live from the place of that reality. And so um, I think, oh, there's a picture. Yes, that was Thaddeus and I just this morning speaking. And it was in person and online. I don't know. I'm probably saying something very serious. I tend to be very serious when I speak. And so that is, that's me, but it was such a good time. Maven. See, look at my face. I'm always just so serious. Yeah. I did not play that guitar behind me. I cannot play any musical instrument. 
But um, that was Us Maven Ministries is run by um, Brett Kunkel, Brett and his wife, Erin Kunkel. And if you have not connected with Maven Ministries, connect with them at maventruth.com. I believe it's .com. Yes. So on tonight's show, we have Shirley Elliott, Shirley Elliott Johns, I'm sorry. And she is the author of a book from Heartbroken to Hopeful. And we actually wanted her on because we receive several letters. We have received, we still do receive several letters from parents whose children, adult and, you know, youth, adolescent have walked away from the faith and, or like are, are in a progressive stream of Christianity and parents are heartbroken. They don't know what to do to really bring their children um, back into faith and things like that. Now, one of the letters that we received actually talked about one woman's journey, but then she wrote in and she said, hey, I'd really like to, you know, offer this book to you as a, a help for people, parents who have children who may have deconstructed. And so I read the book and was like, oh my gosh, this book is so good. Like, I don't even have kids, but it was so, so good. And so one of the things we are going to do as a ministry is that we want to support parents whose child, who um, have children who have, you know, deconstructed or entered into a progressive vein of Christianity by offering this book as one of our book group options. Now, this book is going to be a special book group option because it's going to be held in our parent group. We actually run um, different um, Facebook support groups, one of which is a support group for parents of children who have um, either gone progressive, who have adopted critical race theory or any of the critical social theories, or who have completely deconstructed. And so we will have this book available in addition to our regular three book groups that we are going to be running. I'll talk more about that at the end of the show, but we will be running three, you know, mainstream book groups. But this book in particular is going to be for a special group of, of people who are in this Facebook group. And so if you are in this Facebook group, know that this is going to be a resource. We will actually have a volunteer who's going to lead the discussion in this group. And this is the Facebook group. It's our parent support group. You can find it on our on the Center for Biblical Unity Facebook page. There are some questions that you have to answer in order to be admitted into the group. The group is private, so people can't just search for you and find you in this group. There wouldn't be anything, you know, to to let people know that you're a part of this group. And we do that to be able to maintain confidentiality of parents who may find themselves, you know, in tricky situations or sticky situations with their children who have either left the faith or gone down a progressive road. So we do have um, we do have Miss Shirley Johns on tonight. And gosh, Bob, did you already put up the picture? I'm sorry, I didn't see the picture. Uh huh. This is the book. You can find it on Amazon. I definitely would recommend if you are a parent of a child who has embraced any of the critical social theories, who has deconstructed or is in a um, more progressive strain of, of Christianity, this really is a book that would be helpful. And we'll understand and talk more about why it would be helpful um, as I bring on Shirley. But also, if you have not already joined our parent support group, join the parent support group and find other parents who are like minded, but also experiencing the heartache of having a child who has, you know, deconstructed. So let's go on and bring on Shirley Johns. Hello. Good evening. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us or for joining me. Yeah, it is a delight. I know that it's late on your side, so I really do appreciate you just taking the time to talk with me and have this conversation. I know it's going to be helpful to many parents. Um, so let's just start with a little of your story. Can you just tell me about yourself? Who are you and what sparked or, or yeah, what sparked the thought of even starting to write a book like From Heartbroken to Hopeful? Yeah. Well, thank you, Monique. Yeah, this is this is not um, the book I ever wanted to write. Um, never. 
<clears throat> this was a hard book. This was actually my thesis when I was in graduate school for my master's in biblical counseling. At that time, my husband of 32 years had passed away suddenly from a heart attack. And so just months after that, I started a program, um, an MABC. And during that time, my daughter, who had been married for a couple of years, one day out of the blue said to her husband, she said, there's not another man in my life. You're a great guy, but I'm not a Christian and I cannot be a pastor's wife. And so she walked away. She, she left the marriage. She divorced him very soon after that. And yeah, I, I was devastated. I could not hardly believe uh, that this was taking place. So I was in process because my husband had died. I was in process of writing my thesis on uh, the stages of grief by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And I was going to talk about the fact that uh, how hope is not really one of those stages. It's not listed as one of those stages. Had all my books ready, was ready to do the research and everything and put it together. And this took place. And so I was in no, I was in no place to write a thesis like that. I needed to study God's word myself to help myself to understand how to respond to my daughter and to the circumstances that I was faced with. Well, and, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, it, what you said just really sparked a question for me. Do mm -hmm. you see any overlap in the stages of grief? Like, um, you know, there's a whole like cycle of grief and things like that, that people talk about the anger, the despair, um, the disbelief or, you know, things like that. Did you, did you see any of those stages overlapping between the, the passing of your husband and your daughter um, walking away from the faith? You know, it's interesting because when my husband died and he died suddenly, just I kissed him goodbye in the morning and he was gone in the afternoon. But I knew he loved God and I knew he loved me and he loved God's word. And I knew enough about God to know that God was sovereign and I could trust what he was doing. I could trust that he took my husband. He lovingly took my husband. And that was his time. We're told that you know, our days are numbered. You know? So yes, I grieved. Don't think I didn't. I, I did grieve. But I didn't go through stages uh, like anger, um, bargaining. I, I didn't go through a lot of those stages at all, just because of where I was in my relationship to Christ. When my daughter walked away from the Lord, um, thinking uh, and growing up in a Christian home as she did, totally enveloped in, in Christianity, when she walked away from the Lord and said, I'm not a Christian, I don't want anything to do with Christ, I don't want anything to do with God's word, um, that was more devastating. That was truly heartbreaking. And um, I was angry. My anger at that time was at the fact that it just angry at the deception of the enemy in her life and angry of everything that would combat re repercussions back on um, on myself and which was actually ended up being very selfish as I started thinking about all that. Um, but yeah, there was some overlap, but it wasn't your typical stages of grief that a lot of people go through. Yeah. That I think that is, it's interesting to, to hear like, you know, I, you were secure in, um, you know, God's plan for your husband. And now to see, you know, your daughter walking away from the faith, walking away from um, God's plan for her life, essentially, or, or 
that might not be the best way to put it, but that's kind of how it how it strikes me. Like she's walking away from her from her faith. Yeah, exactly. And and she um, I mean, she 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 admitted and I was really thankful that she admitted this. She admitted I thought I was a Christian. I really did. I I did everything that was expected of me. Um, I mean, she went to church. I mean, and when I say expected of her, she knew God's word. Hmm. She, she, she would, she led many people to Christ. She went to a Christian college. She went to the mission field a couple of times. Um, she married a pastor. Um, so she realized that she was actually pretending she realized that she was not genuine, that it was not her faith. It was hanging on to our faith. It was not her faith. Wow. That makes all the difference. So what would, it, what would you say you want people to walk away with in, after reading your book? Like what, what is that? This is, this is the thing. This is my why in this book. Yeah, yeah I would say... And this is why I wrote it, because at that time I went on Amazon, I, I went on the Internet looking for something, how to help myself, um, how to help myself understand how to respond to um, to my daughter in a godly way. I knew that only God could save her. But I would say that what I would want people to walk away with is the fact that no matter what happens in our lives, God is faithful and and he truly, truly does uh, cause even the worst and the most heartbreaking of things to work together for our good and for his glory. And I would say that it can be a wake up call to parents who make their children the center of, you know, their lives, the center of attention. There was a time many, many, many years ago when my daughter was in uh, early high school, uh, middle school, early high school, when I started getting trapped into that myself, but realized that, oh, this can't be, you know, you cannot make your, your child your you're idle. You're all in all. You cannot do that. And so, um, but I would want people to know that there's hope in Christ and that that salvation is of Christ and that there's really nothing that a parent can do to bring about salvation. The best thing a parent can do is to look like Christ, to be a mm. confident, confident, godly mom or dad, not frantic. The worst thing that you can do is to display to your son or daughter that, oh no, my life is falling apart because you're, you've walked away from the faith. Well, that's, that tells a lot. And mm. actually, I think one reason why some kids do walk away from the faith is because they're not really seeing a genuine Christianity in the home. Wow. Many reasons, but you know. Yeah, I think um, as I read the book and now even hearing you, one of my takeaways was, wow, this is really a good um, a foundation for how do you respond when this happens? If this happens, I want to you know put it out as a guarantee, but if this happens, what is the biblical response? How do parents or how should parents, you know, respond in these situations? Now, I know that you know, in our conversations, Krista, in my conversations with parents who write in or call into the ministry, many parents really struggle with the guilt. They spiral down into this guilt. Did you blame yourself or and like, is this the I guess is this deconstruction or a child walking away the result of parents maybe not doing something right or um, not discipling their children enough or not doing something enough with their kids. Yeah. Well, I think the Bible is pretty clear that everything comes out of the heart. You know, as a man thinks in his heart, we are driven by 
what we love, what we desire, what we want, what we go after, and it comes out of our hearts, what we are desiring, what we are, what we are loving and feel like we can't do without. Um, I did not fall apart frantically only because I, I was very, I was probably more grounded in, I was in the middle of a master's of biblical counseling, you know, so I was immersed in God's word and I knew that I influenced my daughter, but that was her heart going after what she wanted. And she did not want to come under, she did not want to worship Jesus. She did not want to worship the same Jesus that she learned about all her life. And, um, but a lot of parents do feel a lot of much, much guilt. Now I will tell you what I did. There was shortly after, uh, shortly after she took this turn, I did sit down, get before the Lord and ask the Lord, okay, Lord, have I sinned in any way against my daughter that I have not asked mm. her forgiveness? Um, just wanting to make everything clear, not thinking, not in a, not in a means of manipulation because that's no good. Um, but as a means of making things right with my savior, first of all, with my own savior, my relationship with the Lord. And so I did. And the Lord brought a couple of things to mind and I wrote her a letter and I asked her to forgive me for those things. And, um, and today, um, and this was, this was 13 years ago now that, um, she walked away and, um, left the faith and she still is not a believer, uh, today when she did walk away at that time, many years ago, I didn't hear from her for the first two years. Wow. Nothing. And then I would hear from her briefly and then she would go MIA again and another year, year and a half, two years, and then come out of the, and then out, out again. And that's the way it's been until really just about two years ago when she came into my life and has been in my life ever since. She was with she was with uh, us at Christmas this year, and and it's wonderful. We have so much in common, so much in common um, that we pick up where we left off. And but she is not a believer at all. So, well, you know, I I appreciate the fact that you said you know you don't have to own her faith, that you are not responsible for her faith. You know, there are so many pressures culturally right now to put, um, you know, pressure on parents to be like, well, you're responsible for everything, you know, that your ancestors did or whatever. And, you know, I appreciate the fact that you can separate that out and be like, you know what? No, that that isn't mine to own. You know, my child is grown and she is responsible for her own faith. Right. That's I do want to circle back to um, something that you were, you mentioned like this thing of idols and making children, your idol, their, um, the parents making children, their idols. Can you define, give us a, a definition of um, idol of what you're meaning by idol? Because I think that some parents could say, well, I don't, you know, my child isn't my idol. I just really love them. What would be the difference between like a kid being an idol and just being well-loved? Yeah. Well, think about it. A parent, um, a child may want candy for breakfast and for lunch and for dinner. And a, and a parent says, uh, yeah, but I love you too much to give you candy for three meals a day. That would be unloving for me to do that for you. Okay. But when parents succumb to everything that their kids want, and they are actually loving their kids and loving the pleasure of their kids more than they're loving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's idolatry. Mm -hmm. We're to love the Lord with all of our heart and soul and mind. 
and we are not even to love our children or our husbands or our families or anybody more than we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when parents make their child an idol, um, it looks like, uh, well, basically the child runs the home. It's a child-centered home and, and the child um, oftentimes calls the shots. And a lot of times parents, for instance, parents want their kids to take music lessons or take be in sports or be in activities after school. And they're running themselves frantic because they want to do everything for their kid, you know, provide everything for them that they want. And that's a picture of idolatry right there. Whenever the child has usurped himself right in the center of the home. And for some reason, um, you know, parents feel like they just need to give everything, everything, everything to their kids. And there's actually nothing loving about that. Yeah. I can, I can definitely see that, um, how we can go overboard in our love. And, and I don't want to say in our love, but it can, it can be um, with wrong motive Yes, at times, you know, not wanting to cause strife or not wanting to disappoint or not wanting my child to be upset. And those aren't, you know, reasons to, um, to either not have hard conversation, to not to not um, withhold something at certain times or things like that. Much like you said about candy, you know, I'm not going to give you candy all the time. So I think as parents, um, it, it's important to often check the motive of your heart. Like where does your child sit in your heart? And I can't imagine, you know, the love of a parent for a child, but still making sure that things remain in their proper place in their proper order, because that is a command um, that we find in scripture. That's right. You know, one of the things that I, th- I think about in in parenting is that parents are responsible for training, discipling, um, you know, all of these things, teaching. We find that in the scriptures like that is the responsibility of the parent. We often want to you know, parents often want to send their kids to children's ministry. And it's like, well, you know, here you can train a disciple. But that that is a role that falls on the parent. But the role of salvation, the work of salvation is a work of grace. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. What did you say? I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. I said that is exactly right. And that is, I believe, what parents forget when these kinds of things happen and when kids make a sharp turn and they go west when their parents are trying to tell them to go east. And this is why um, you talked about you talked about motives, motives of the heart. I have often seen many parents become frantic when their kids take this kind of turn, and they beg their kids, they plead with their kids, they bargain with their kids, they, they, they cry, they weep, they everything to try to control their, child, their adult children. You know, we're, we're, we're talking, you know, 18, 20, 25 years, you know, begging. It's just not pretty. It's it, it, it so clearly displays that that parent um, is finding their identity, their approval, everything in that child. And, um, and it ought not to be that way. Hmm. Would you say that that, um, you know what, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold that question because okay. that'll get me too far ahead, too far ahead, but I'm going to hold it. Um, so what do you think actually happens in a family when a child, when, when a home becomes child centered. Yeah. When, when that happens, everybody is basically bowing down to that child, Hmm. their schedule. It's, it's their activities and mom and dad are sacrificing um, their own lives. And mom and dad are oftentimes sacrificing their own time together. You know, Hmm. the truth, the truth is in a marriage, a mother and a father should be a united front and they are 
the unifying force should be the unifying force in the home and the children come under them. It's the marriage that is the permanent union. It is the parent and the child that is a temporary one because wow. children leave the home. And so the worst case, and I've seen this happen, the worst case is when children leave the home and that if it's been a child-centered home, here's a mom and dad left looking at each other and basically, who are you? And, and they have little to no relationship left because it's been sucked out of them through their little children who have you know, occupied their universe. Wow. Wow. I, um, what I hear you saying is that when, when a home is child, completely child centered, you know, there's no room for relationship with mom and dad because, you know, everything must focus on the child. Now, what I don't hear you saying is that we don't care for our kids. We don't love and nurture our kids. We don't, you know, sacrifice or, or, you know, sometimes we have to sacrifice for our kids. We're not saying that. What we are saying is that when everything is so focused on the child that they become the absolute center of the universe where there is no other option or opportunity for anything else to happen, that can drive a wedge between parents. And then when you're when the child moves away, well, who are you again? Oh, it's nice to meet you again because we've spent our lives or, you know, those 18 years really just working solely for, you know, this this child who is going to move away and hopefully have, you know, a strong, independent life of their own. Am I summarizing that and getting it right? Yes. Okay, because I don't want people to think that we're like, you know, forget your kid and, you know, just don't worry about no one's saying that. No one's saying that we do. Go ahead. I was just going to say that could not be farther from the truth, right? We, we want, of course, we, we love our children. Of course, we sacrifice for them. But that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about child idolatry. Yes. Thank you. You know what? Um, we have a couple of questions on our Facebook and YouTube streams. And so I'm going to go to one on Facebook before I finish up the other questions um, in our conversation. So, yes, yeah, so we're going to go to one from Trisha and it's on our CFBU um, Facebook page. And she says, could you explain why you use the term prodigal for those that walk away from the faith? Most people that do so do not engage in extravagant living. It is confusing. Yeah, well, the word prodigal does annotate somebody who has walked away. That's a term that is often used for someone who has walked away from the faith. Um, But it also does have to do with uh, lavish, uh, uh, prodigal God being lavish, uh, lavish God who has lavished his grace upon us. Um, What I found is that, in fact, when I did my thesis, my thesis Uh, title that was given to me at school was um, had to do use the word wayward wayward adult children so it gives it gives an indication prodigal or wayward that these kids have just kind of taken a little turn over here or over here and they're just not walking with Jesus like they had been but what I have found, and this is just me, um, I've spoken with hundreds and hundreds of moms and dads of children who have taken a turn like this. And what I have found in talking to them is that there comes to a point in many of their cases in which really um, they don't see that their kids were ever saved, ever Christians. And so they're really unsaved children that we're talking about. And only the Lord knows that. I'm not going to sit. I'm certainly not going to say that every child who takes a turn is not a Christian, is never going to come back. I'm not going to say that. But but that is the case. My, My daughter admits that she is not a believer. That's what she admitted 13 years ago herself. 
So I don't know if that helps, but prodigal, uh, prodigal is, is a word that, that does annotate lavish. And, and some kids, they just respond differently. Everyone is different. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there are, there are a bunch of other terms that the scriptures use to, you know, refer to people who um, either walk away, who choose to, to, you know, walk away from Jesus or um, who hold idols in their heart or who don't believe and things like that. And so foolish is an, another word that people use, but um, yeah, I, I, I appreciate the the threading through of the word prodigal there. And, you know, it, Yes, it's it's usual connotation of being lavish and looking at a prodigal God and things like that. But, um, you know, lab, maybe perhaps it can it can also and this might be a stretch, but choosing more of the things that the world sees as glamorous or lavish in that way. Um, but foolish, I think foolish is, is a word that we see often foolish pride, foolish in his heart and things like that. Yes. Now, we've talked a bit just about your journey and, um, you know, what what we see perhaps happening with, with kids um, who who walk away. What is the the biblical response, though? Um, how should a parent respond to a child who walks away from the faith? Oh, <laughs> well. I tell you what I did um, immediately. I went to prayer and I prayed and fasted for about 30 days and um, just got before the Lord. You know, the Lord tells us in scripture, take the log out of your own eye first. And uh, that's when I wrote that letter to my daughter, wanted to look at my own heart first. Um, want to speak with her in humility. You know, you want to speak to your children in humility. Um, the scripture tells us that, I mean, honestly, there's no point arguing with a child. There's no point debating a child. They're not listening, um, especially early on like that. Um, it's important to speak gently kindly to let Christ be seen in us. Uh, there's a passage in second Timothy chapter two, verse 24 to 26. And it says, and the Lord's servant. And I think of myself and I think of parents in this position, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses, sounds like the uh, younger son in Luke 15, come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so you see that I mean, this is a good outline for me as a mom. I took this years ago that I'm not to be quarrelsome. And kind does no good to get angry with my daughter, kind to her, patiently enduring evil. Sometimes pa parents do endure evil. I mean, when my daughter walked away and I didn't hear from her for two years, and that was hard. That was really, really hard. I could put my head on my pillow at night, though, knowing that God knew where she was, uh, even though I didn't. And I could trust God with her, but um, but this this is a a picture of how I want to speak truth and love to my daughter. I want to listen. Questions prick the heart, so I want to. And I did that early on. Tell me how this happened. What's going on? Mm. So I think listening parents like to lecture, and I think one of the best things that they can do is listen. Now, um, you know, in when we look at, you know, staying in relationship with our child, what does that look like biblically? Mm, yeah. Well, maybe it depends on what you call relationship. Mm. Uh, I I don't have that relationship, that spiritual relationship 
my daughter knows that I'm the same mom that she's always known. I've, I've been the same all this time. Um, and she has, my daughter has the highest respect for me. I would say that. Uh, she's never argued or debated or <laughs> thrown a temper tantrum, you know, adult temper tantrum. She, uh, she knows I'm solid in my faith and she respects me for that, but it's not her faith. Yeah. And, and I would say that, um, that one thing I tried to do, and I still try to do this, is I try to have peaceful conversations where our hearts connect. So the kind of relationship, even though we don't have a spiritual relationship, my daughter plays the piano like, like I do. She loves to garden like I do. She loves to do demolition around the house like I do and projects. She loves to cook like I do. And so we stay connected in those areas that may not be spiritual, but it's a connection to relationship. So, yeah. So um, what I heard you say is, you know, lecturing may not be the best approach. Yeah. But starting out by listening, perhaps maybe asking questions. You know, if if there's a, a lull or, you know, there's no conversation, ask questions to, to be able to understand. And we can listen to hear maybe they have other questions. Maybe things aren't solidified for them. And that can be an opening to really, you know, bringing them along or to letting them know, hey, look, I'm still here. I'm not closing you out and things like that. One of, something that you mentioned Reminded me of the the verse in what is this? I think it's First Peter, First Peter three, um, starting at verse fifteen. It says, "But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you right. to to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect." keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. But it, it just talks about the heart posture, but that doesn't mean that just because we have this heart posture that we don't all also hold to truth. It doesn't mean that we can't maintain a boldness and a courage and conviction about our faith. It, it just gives us the ways in which we do that. And so, you know, thank you for sharing that, because I think sometimes it, it can feel like an either or, you know, yeah. either I am, you know, this way and just affirming or things like that, or I'm holding to a biblical truth. And no, we can actually hold to a biblical truth and, and to courage and to the hope that we have with gentleness and respect. We can ask questions that challenge with gentleness and respect. Absolutely. And we've, um, we've had those kinds of conversations. We had one just when she was here this Christmas, um, just a couple of days after Christmas before she went back home and great conversation. And, and I asked her a question because questions do prick the heart and I want to listen. So when a parent asks a question, it's important that they not already start generating an answer, but listen. And so um, that conversation went about 45 minutes to an hour. Mm. And uh, it's good. I, I would encourage parents to be so solid in their own relationship to Christ. This is everything because it does no good to try to have a conversation with an adult child and you're just falling apart. Um, I mean, there is a grief. Don't get me wrong. Uh, there is weeping and there is a grief for sure. But, but it's important that that mom or dad's faith be, be strong themselves so that, so that their adult child can see that, oh, you know, mom doesn't need me to make her happy. Mm. And uh, mom loves Jesus more than she loves me. And that um, it, it it's something else that I did from the very beginning is I still sent my daughter cards for birthday, Christmas gifts, whatever. I did not cut everything off. I would send her text messages. I'd leave a voicemail, but you can imagine um, 
you know, going two years at a time and not hearing anything. It's hard. But I put that mail, that um, card to her in the mailbox, and I do that for the glory of God. I didn't do it to get a response back from her. Um, I knew that it was the loving thing to do. So that's, that's what a parent has to ask themselves. What is the most loving thing to do? Mm. Uh, and it's to be Christ. We are to be Christ in a dark world. Yes. You know, you said, um, you know, as a, as a parent, letting your child know by your actions that, you know, my world isn't going to, and tell me if I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing this, you know, incorrectly, but all of my, my, my spiritual walk is not going to fall apart because you're choosing to walk away. Right. And I think that's hugely important for, for adult children, but for kids in general, like, you know, you are a huge part of my life. Like you, you are my, my, you know, the love, you know, I have made you in love and yet my world will, you don't have that much power and control. Like I have a source of hope um, that is outside of either one of us. And so, you know, like I would, it, it's heartbreaking and I am, you know, disappointed and sad and, you know, all of these realities. And yet my hope lies over here in Jesus. My hope doesn't lie in your ability to maintain your faith. And I think that that's important because a lot of, you know, what I hear is, you know, we've, we've begged and we have pleaded and, you know, she doesn't understand or he doesn't understand how much he's damaging us. But the hope really sits in Jesus, which is outside of either one of those parties. Yes. You know what, Monique, it actually puts too much pressure on an adult child. It, it puts so much pressure on them to think that it's up to them to make their parents happy. It's up to them to, it, it's just, it's just all wrong. And it's out, out of God's order for the family. It's, it's out of it. It's, it's, it's not right. So um, I tell you what, I have learned so much about this. I really thought that in the beginning, this was going to be a sprint. Mm. Yeah, that it might last, oh, a few months or a year or maybe, maybe two years. And she would come to her senses like the young, you know, son in Luke 15 but it's been 13 years. So it's, it's become a marathon. It's, it's not a sprint and it's not the test I ever wanted. Uh, the spiritual test I ever wanted. It's, um, but I will tell you, I will tell you that through this, I've come to love the Lord Jesus Christ more than I ever had before. I have used my book, um, this it's about 10 chapters long i've used it to teach class after class after class of groups of women because there's study questions after each chapter and god has used it um, for our own study and support groups at our church and locally so it's been an encouragement to me because i really did not know how to respond to this and here my husband had died and i was alone my daughter is an only child. Um, and so, and my mother was in ill health. I mean, I didn't have any other family. So, so I really needed to learn how to respond to her in a godly way. And God thrust me into his word to study, you know. That's I, how I goodness. The, so help us think through just a little bit, um, the issue of like really pressing faith with a, a child who has, I'll just use the word deconstructed. Um, you know, what I think I'm hearing you say is that we shouldn't press this issue, but can you just help us explore this a little bit more? And what do you see in the error in, in pressing the issue of faith with a child who has rejected the faith? I don't think there's anything wrong with asking questions, especially early on, whenever a child is indicating through their actions, through what they're saying, that they are uh, making a decision, a clear decision, they have drawn a line in the sand and they do not want to follow the Lord. 
They do not want to follow the word of God. There's nothing wrong with a parent. A parent should ask them questions and should press upon them and find out what's what's driving that thinking. What happened? What started this? Or have they been thinking about it for a long time? And what do they believe that the world can offer that Christ through his word cannot offer? They should ask questions. When I say don't press upon um, a person, uh, an adult child, I'm talking down the road as this becomes, you know, day in and day out, ongoing, ongoing, year after year after year. The best thing that I found is that a parent can visibly look in their speech, in their, in their behavior, in their thoughts, their actions, in how they feel, to display a confidence confidence in Christ to let them to let their children see that almost like a gentle quiet spirit that we talk about in first Peter 3 where without a word and most children that I found have heard many many words they've heard many words at church they've heard many words from other Christians they've heard many words you know and um, and they 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 want to see changed lives. You know, one of the most beautiful things is to see someone go through something difficult and challenging and see them putting their trust and hope in Christ rather than falling apart completely. Yeah. Gosh, that I think that's it it really strikes me because even, you know, not as a parent, but how do you let your your light shine? How do you allow your walk to speak? And there are many times when your walk will speak louder than the words that you can, you know, speak out of your mouth. And so that's what I hear you saying is, you know, yes, we we can ask the, the questions. We can ask the follow up questions, the hard questions, especially in the beginning. Maybe, you know, we need to really ask some questions. Make sure are you really wanting to do this? Like, is there a question I can answer for you or help you think this through a bit? But as you walk that road with your child. And and seek relationship and wanting to, to stay in relationship. Allow your light, your your life to really shine as as a testimony to Jesus. Um now I wanna switch gears a little bit. We've been talking about adult children. But Krista posted something this week that only like 2% of parents of children who are 13 and under have a biblical worldview. Now, I think it's no you know, coincidence that we see many young people who are even under the age of 18, you know, while they're still in their parents' home, deconstructing or walking away from the faith, you know, saying this isn't for me. I'm going to, um, you know, participate in this other ideology, whether it be part of the critical social theories or, you know, another worldview completely. And so I'm wondering, um, what do you see as influencers or do you see any influencers in young people's, you know, deconstruction? What would that be? Yeah. Well, social media is a big one. Mm. Social media, Instagram, Facebook, (laughs) every type of social media. How so? Well, how so? Because kids are idolizing um, celebrities in every way and they're they want to follow the path they want they're curious um, with everything out nowadays concerning even transgender and LGBTQ plus you know they're they're curious and they want to experiment and then I think there's a lot of kids who want, to have freedom, free reign, to sin, to do, to, to have a lifestyle that they know that they shouldn't. And so rather than, um, rather than repenting, coming back to the Lord, they, it's easier to just say, you know what? I was, I was never a Christian. I'm not a Christian. So this is just who I am. But I think that, that the world, you know, schools, um, people, parents are influential. Um, when parents claim to be Christians and they're not acting like Christians themselves, that's not helpful. Influence is, is everywhere. Yeah. You may know some, you may know some others, 
Um, but it's, it's, it's hard. My heart goes out to young people these days. Definitely. I've spent the last week talking with college students Monday to Wednesday, Monday to Thursday and um, today and yesterday. So yeah, the last week. And, you know, one of the things that I have wondered about in regards to young people walking away from the faith is, is it just one of those things, especially in middle school, where in middle school, what we're finding right now among like teen girls is that it's really cool to be transgender. Yeah. You know, so maybe Christianity is one of those things right now where you when you're hearing terms of Christian privilege and Christian oppression and how Christianity is an oppressive religion. Well, it's not really cool to be associated as a Christian because now you're the oppressor. Now you're the privileged one. Now, you know, all of these negative connotations that go along with being a Christian. And so while some, I think, may feel the guilt of like leading a double life, like, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing this thing over here, but I'm still trying to go to Sunday school and the youth group and things like that. I, I wonder if for some, it's just a very real reality that I can't go into the locker room at school and talk about Jesus. That's not cool. My friends at my Christian school are, you know, LGBTQ plus affirming or they identify as transgender or, you know, they shame Christians, even though they're in the Christian school. And so, yeah, that's just been a, a, a thought of mine of, you know, I wonder how many children, young people are, you know, walking away from the faith because of its connotation, even with the critical theories and um, things like Christian privilege and Christian oppression. I will tell you, it's, it's starting younger and younger. I actually, <clears throat> I actually know of, of some very, very young children. I was in, involved in a counseling situation. I'm, I'm one of the biblical counselors at our church. And I was involved in a counseling situation about three years ago and um, with a very young, a couple came in and very young girl, young daughter who didn't want to be a girl, Mm. wanted to be a boy. And, um, and it's just hard. It's just hard. And, and she got that because she saw her friends who were boys and she saw, you mentioned privilege. She saw that they had certain privileges that she wanted. And so she wanted to be a boy. There are a lot of other reasons, but that was just one of them. And, um, and so you know, she didn't want to wear a girl's bathing suit. She didn't want to have a girl's you know, haircut. I mean, she wanted to dress like a boy, wear boy clothes, boy underwear, everything. Mm. It starts very young, very, very young. It does. It definitely starts young. And I think that, you know, part of part of it starting young is, like you said earlier about, you know, education and what happens in schools and things like that. But it can also be, you know, family and familial influences or things that they hear and see on TV and social media. It it is definitely um, cool to to have a gay agenda right now. We did an interview not too long ago with Beckett Cook and, you know, talking about this gay agenda to um, to reach our children and how it's been here for a long time. So that makes it makes a lot of sense in um, or at least to me, it makes sense in, you know, the idea that Christianity is not necessarily the cool the cool spot to hang out at when you have all of these other options that are constantly before young people. Yes, yes, I could not agree with you more. You know, you think about Luke, where um, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, you know, take up his cross and follow me. And that that almost just seems um, unbelievable or an oxymoron, you know, whenever you think about it with, with young people. And yet, you know, I have some piano students that I teach who love Jesus immensely and live for the Lord. But I tell you, it is hard. It is an uphill battle mm. this day and age. It is just an uphill battle. And um, and there again, there again, moms and dads can really help lay this foundation of good theology, correct theology in their home themselves, strong 
you know, Christ-centered home, you know, and that's hard whenever one parent is not a believer, but the parent who is a believer can have much influence over that child. Now, I have one last question for you, and this is in regards to churches, ministries. How can youth ministries, youth pastors, senior pastors, like those in leadership, really get behind and support um, parents of children who have walked away from their faith? Yeah. Uh, Well, definitely pray for them. We've had a couple of events at our church where it's been focused on praying for prodigals, for wayward adult children, whatever you want to call them, for unsaved children. We've had a couple of events like that. It's been helpful. I had a friend in my life right after my daughter took this turn who, um, you know, often would reach out to my daughter and send her a text message, not to preach, nothing like that, but just a loving message. Uh, you know, youth ministries, uh, pastors and churches need, need to know that this is hard. This is one of the hardest battles that parents face mm. because your whole desire, I mean, before our daughter was born, there was nothing more that we wanted than for her to live for Jesus Christ. Nothing more. I could have cared less that she, you know, married into money or that she was smart or beautiful or talented or anything like that. I could care less. It was her heart, wanted her heart to be, to belong to, to Jesus Christ. And so just understanding what these parents are going through and coming alongside, not being afraid to ask about their child, not, not being afraid to say, hey, how's your son? How's your daughter? Yeah. You know, what do you hear from them? That's what I, that's what I found early on was like, people didn't want to talk about it. You know, it's mm. like, they think it's, it's, they think it's going to hurt me. It actually hurts me more when they don't ask about her. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's good. And, um, teach, and the last thing, just to teach good theology, as far as encouraging parents, you are not to blame mm. for this, um, or you're not held responsible. You know, parents can influence a child wrongly. That's true, you know, sinfully. But, um, you know, I would tell you, I grew up in a complete, a home completely devoid of anything spiritual. I grew up in a ungodly, unsaved home and God rescued me out of that home. So uh, it's not what parents do or don't do. It is this, it is the grace of Christ. Amen. God's life. Amen. So pray um, and, you know, understand that this is, one of the most difficult things that a parent will go through, but then don't just take the child completely out of the picture just because they may have walked away from their faith, still ask questions and know that, you know, that child is still important in, in your picture and in your story. Wow. That's, that's good. And it's a very good place to end our conversation tonight. I think um, those tips are very helpful and it's, it's helpful whether you are in, you know, an elder position or senior leadership, or you're just a friend, you know, that the, these um, thoughts and suggestions work no matter the position that we hold, because we all can pray. We all can, you know, recognize the hard space that a parent might be in. And we can ask the questions and stay in conversation about that child. So that would be my encouragement to you who are watching as well. If you know someone who um, who has a child who has walked away from their faith. Shirley, thank you so much for being here. I know it's late on your end, but I so appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Monique. God thank you. Me. Have a good evening. Too. All right. Guys, if you know of someone or if you yourself have a child who has walked away from the faith, consider joining our Facebook Parent Support Group. All you do is go to the Center for Biblical Unity Facebook page, click on Groups, and um, submit to join. Now you have to fill out the form. There is a form to fill out. Please fill out that form. We are very, very serious about this group. And um, we definitely uphold confidentiality. And so if you do not complete the form, you will not be allowed into the group. So I don't want people to be sitting on the sidelines. I'm like, well, I tried to join the group. No, if you don't fill out the form, unfortunately, we cannot allow you into the group. We, 
just take it that seriously and wanting to make sure that um, we don't potentially do anything or run the risk of um, damaging a relationship because a child may have found out that their parents were, you know, in a support group or something like that. We definitely want to respect the relationship and uphold confidentiality. Now, in addition to Shirley's book group that will be in the parent book group, um, in the parent support group, we do have three other book groups that we will be running um, this spring. We will be running, goodness, uh, James Cone's book, and the name is completely slipping my mind right now, but it is, um, I want to say it's, gosh, Thank you, Bob. See, Bob really be coming through A Black Theology of Liberation by James Cone. James Cone is the he's noted as the father of black liberation theology. So this will give us an insight into some of his thinking and what is black liberation theology. And then Natasha Crane's book, Faithfully Different. I was just at the Maven Conference with Natasha Crane. She's doing some amazing work empowering parents to be able to disciple their kids. And this book is definitely for for parents, but also for youth leaders and anyone who's really involved in the life of a child. And then our last book is Dr. George Yancey's book, Beyond Racial Division. And he looks at a mutual accountability approach. I've actually read this book. And so he is looking at how are we holding um, a mutual accountability approach to our conversations on race. So these are the con- the books that we will be um going through this spring. The book groups are open for registration. You can register now. Just go to centerforbiblicalunity.com, click on the resource tab, and you will be able to find our book groups there. We will not have a show next week. Next week, Krista and I will be in Philadelphia at the Santa Reason Conference. So Philly, we coming for you. If you are not registered for the Santa Reason Conference, it may actually be sold out, but check it out at str.org. You can always order the live stream. So we will see you in two weeks. You guys, I am exhausted. I'm about to like seriously just go grab dinner and go to sleep. Please pray for us as we travel. Pray that we um, stay in good health and that we stay safe. And that is it. We are also praying for you. We are so, so grateful for you. You guys have a good night. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.